Hello and welcome to episode 235 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and uh, listeners, uh, the Final Fantasy VII Remake, maybe you've heard of it, came out about a month ago, and here at RPG Fan, a lot of people have been playing with it slash become obsessed with it over the month of April. So right now, in the first week of May, with enough time to play the game and think about it for a while, but set behind us, we are ready to talk about it a lot. So we are doing one of our spoiler casts, which is a bit of a, I don't know, maybe slightly redundant, because uh, we always spoil games when we talk when we have game-dedicated episodes, but we're throwing that spoiler cast title on there, because this game is pretty recent. And joining me for this podcast pretty recently is, first, Alana Hags. Alright, everyone, let's mosey. I, I I did you know I did appreciate Mosey being mentioned without the actual let's Mosey line happening. I thought that was a good yeah. idea. That was good. Also a good idea for this podcast, Zach Wilkerson. Hi there. And Joe Padilla. Stairs. And <laughs> and Peter Treisenberg, who I'm pretty sure beat this game less than eight hours ago. Yeah, I did, and I would also like Aerith to beat me over the head with a steel chair. That was the most brutal chair shot I've ever seen since Undertaker hit Maven. And, right? <laughs> yeah. And then that was, that was the chair shot that had pro wrestling stop using chairs to the head. So, yeah. Uh, apology, apologies for the WWE discussion less than two minutes in, but uh, uh, gentlemen and ladies, th- this was... I, I'm not. Uh, we were going to talk about what we, what our thoughts were going into this game, and I'm just going to say my bit right away. I think my expectations were exceeded. I, I thought that this was going to be a big, expensive, messy game that was maybe them playing really safe because FF7 is so is so beloved, and uh, and they knew they were going to make money. But this game went places I didn't expect and took risks I never dreamed. So I. Uh, and and I was uh, I, I played it pretty quickly. I got the game about five days late, and then and then beat the whole thing in something like ten days or two weeks. And I, I was riveted ninety percent of the way through. This I thought FF Seven Remake was awesome, and now I am confused by the by what happened at the end. Uh, so let's continue to talk about our our early impression, our overall impressions, and um sort of and our expectations going in. Uh, uh, Peter, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on this uh, on this prompt? Uh, this is the most excited I've been about Final Fantasy in years. Um, uh, I think I'm pretty much on the same page as you, though. I I played it. I got I got it when it came out. Um, I went digitally because I'm not allowed to go outside right now. And um, it's uh, and I beat it last night at two in the morning. <laughs> and I stayed up for another th- two three hours because I didn't need sleep. I needed answers. So, uh, Alana, um, you wrote the review for the uh, for the website for this game, and all, which is available both in text form and video form. So, what were your thoughts going in and your impressions going out? Um, so, I was probably more skeptical than most. I don't think I came around to the idea of remake until last year, twenty nineteen. So, I was really excited for it to be announced because I know so many people who love this game, and you know, I was I was there, but like. 
I just didn't see it. And every kind of like Square were in a really strange position in that people were suspicious of a lot and not really like that they'd lost a lot of confidence, I think, other than Final Fantasy fourteen. I think that not many people were really on their side. So, you know, people interpreted things as like, oh, it's gonna be episodic, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be that. So everybody kind of took the worst out of every development stage, as they did for things like Kingdom Hearts three and other stuff. And so a lot of that fed into my feelings. And then the E3 demo dropped and was like, no, I'm in, I'm on the train. And I've pretty much been on that since then. Yeah. And I mean, I said this on Random Encounter a few weeks ago, but a Final Fantasy VII Remake is probably the biggest and most daunting game I've ever reviewed and probably will ever review. Um, I was very excited and nervous. Um, I think it's fantastic. It's so, I don't know, it's so delightful and so rewarding at times. Um, I feel like I maybe have more nitpicks than most people. Um but I definitely came away with a big smile on my face. And similar to Peter, I have probably never been more excited for Final Fantasy, well, than years, basically. So, uh -huh. yeah, I was pretty delighted to get to the end. And there's another, I made a comparison to um, Mike before the podcast. Um, I haven't been this excited to talk about an ending of a video game since Danganronpa V3. And people oh, who played man. that will know. Oh, I, I, I was on yeah. a podcast with you about that. And that, you were. And Danganronpa V3's ending recontextualizes all the video games um yeah then they made that exaggeration but but what what's what one thing that isn't an exaggeration is i i um i i didn't mention this a minute ago i was lukewarm to medium interested in the remake until that e3 demo and uh mm -hmm. and so it's going to be like this oh my goodness and uh then then i got more uh considerably more excited and because they announced trials of mana's uh remake within the like on that same weekend made me just made me just higher on square enix than i had ever than i had ever been that was a fever dream of me <laughs> yeah. wasn't it for us yeah it really it really was <laughs> sure was uh zach you were there with alana and i at e3 last year yeah. uh, what, what were your expectations for seven remake going in and how do you feel about it now I played Final Fantasy VII pretty shortly after it came out. And at the time, I, when I played it originally, I'd never been more hyped or loved a game more. Um, for So when we talk about like the most excited I've ever been for Final Fantasy, that's the most excited I've ever been for Final Fantasy. Um, but I was always um, excited about Remake. But yeah, I mean, like playing the demo at E3 um, and not just the combat um, and how fluid I thought the combat was with the demo at E3, but also just... Um, even the tone that Square used uh, when they were presenting Final Fantasy VII Remake to us um, with things like Jesse introducing it and things like that, all those things really got me hyped for what it was and what it was going to become. And they built on that really beautifully, I thought, in this game for the most part. Um, everyone on this podcast knows that I have lots of gripes with the ending, but um, the way that um, they created extra characterization and they added moments in while also still... Uh, respecting and being faithful to the property while also making it into something new and entirely its own, I thought was just brilliant for 17 chapters in this game. Note to the listeners, there are 18 <laughs> chapters in this game. <laughs> we're going to get there. We're going to get to it, but we are going to save the ending for the second half of this podcast. But, the, hey, but point, it, point it, is, shall it shall be discussed. I, I, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. <laughs> so, Joe, so, Joe, let's let's round out the panel thoughts before we get into the the meat of this game what were your um, like what are your overall thoughts coming out of final fantasy 7 remake yeah so i'm definitely the person on this podcast who played the original most uh, for the first time most recently um and so i've like it, it's really interesting because i basically played it the original a year ago and then played remake now and so it was 
I just, I was really kind of enchanted by it. I thought it was, there were so many things that were so delightful and so joyous from it. Um, and in kind of expanding on its themes that it presented before in terms of um, ecological destruction, terrorism and such, I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. I was so thrilled by the combat, um, which I just wasn't, I thought I would like it after playing the demo. I was not expecting how much I would just enjoy it um, to the, the point of like doing combat trials and stuff, which I never do in games because mm. I'm just not, I'm just not that much of a combat focused sort of uh, person when I'm playing games. Um, I think this game is fantastic and I share y'all's excitement about where Final Fantasy is and where it's heading with you know, with 14 kind of firing on all cylinders, it seems, and this uh, coming out, it is a very exciting time. That um, that basically is going to set the stage here. Uh, listeners, all five of us thought this game was awesome. So if you were expecting, like, a roast of the game or, uh, or like, you know, uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake at the Apollo, uh, this is – that's absolutely not what's going to happen. We are, we are not red-letter media. No, no, no. This is, this, um, we, we are largely positive, at least until we get into contextualizing the ending. Um, but we, we're going to talk about our – um, the changes that it made and our favorite and our favorite and least favorite parts of FF7 remake without going through it chapter by chapter. I don't think that th- that's a very useful exercise for the kind of podcast we're doing right now. But we we need to talk about a lot of things. But it's 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 going to be pretty positive until we talk about the ending. I, I think I can say that with m- mostly confidence. Let, let's talk. Let's focus on characters first. What's either a new character or a change made to existing characters that we thought was really interesting or really, or, or, or really exciting. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go first again because I want to talk about this right away. Um, I love Aerith and Tifa as gal pals. Yes. Right. It, that was right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, because in the original FF7, it's a, I mean it's an RPG of of that time. There isn't a lot of inner character dialogue except in a major story scene. Um, but I mean RPGs have changed in 23 years now. Uh, like dialogue when you're just going through a normal area or like uh or just or optional dialogue or just more dialogue happening and especially more voice dialogue i've said dialogue eight times in one sentence um that is much more commonplace now so of course we're getting more interactions now and the interactions between Aerith and tifa are among my favorite in the game because it's two girls who uh are both, you know, basically good people trying to do good, and at first they're a little uncertain of each other, like 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 when when you uh, crash Corneo's mansion uh, the, the for the first time in chapter nine, uh, Tifa's like Aerith, who's Aerith, and but then they just quickly become friends, and they are just awesome the whole time. I, I love Aerith and Tifa in general in this game, and maybe even more <laughs> love the idea of them being of them being friends. They're the there's the fandom is already shipping them, so Oh are they? So, they are. Oh so man, they are fan art. <laughs> Um but like, no that all the character interactions um are great, but Tifa and Eris are a particular highlight, I agree. They're just super wonderful. You you really get a feel for these characters as people, um, which is a real it's I think it's a real strength of this game. Um and something they kind of built on from a in a lot of ways ff7 remake feels almost like the game they wanted ff15 to be if that makes sense Mm -hmm. 
Um, cause I liked 15 a lot, but that game, and that game had a really strong focus on interpersonal relationships and real time combat and FF seven remake takes both of those. And it's just like, yeah, but let's t- do that, but make it way, way better. <laughs> um, and kind of drawing on that, I've, um, I liked that they tried to do that with 15 and I liked all the characters individually for the most part, but um, I didn't really feel like they gelled. They really gelled as a party. I felt like the times I most connected with them was during their individual episodes um, or, you know, when Noctis felt alone or something like that. And in this, it's all of them kind of playing off each other and building on what the other person, what the other characters are saying and what they're doing. Um, Just like the back and forth dialogue. Like, I think my favorite scene in this entire game is when, is shortly after you first meet Aerith and Cloud and Aerith are just going across the rooftops in the Sector 5 slums. Yeah. It's adorable. I loved loved the dialogue. I loved just kind of how um, seamless it felt in... Um, how they're interacting, and I thought it was just so sweet. I thought it was great. I, I mean, I think that to me, I think there's like a real warmth to the way they they treat the characters here. And what I what I'm most impressed by is how they can get at the kernel of who the character was. You know, like who Tifa was. Who Tifa's not very well characterized, at least in the first five hours, or even I think in general, all that well characterized in Final Fantasy VII in general. But they get at the the kernel of who she is really effectively here and they develop that with a warmth and also a respect for her character and Aerith in particular I know I'm you know repeating but I think Aerith um, is a character who I loved 23 years ago and they have um, just um, pumped her up with so much warmth and so much empathy and so much um, toughness too I mean I think that they just do an amazing job of picking on characters and who they were and taking them to their logical conclusion in this new sort of environment but also coloring them in a really good way and also obviously adding in new ones as well like jesse and and wedge who we didn't know much about in the original Mm -hmm. oh i love the way they they fleshed out the avalanche crew yeah wedge is a cat dad Oh, gosh, thing. that was amazing. <laughs> Wedge yeah. is a cat. Wedge is a cat dad, and I have never related so hard in my life. <laughs> also, the voice acting on Wedge is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, well, he's a. I mean, it's Badger from Breaking yep. Bad, which is, yep. which is yep. yeah. Oh, 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 can we get weird about voice actors for a minute? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Let's yeah. do it. Okay, uh, let's do it. Um, oh God, where do I begin? Uh, we talk about how Sephiroth is Superman from Supergirl. No, right? let, let's talk about how the old lady in the slums, Marl, is Rita Repulsa. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. Bar- yep. Barbara, Barbara Goodson, who is Laharl and Disgaea and Rita Repulsa in the first season of Power Rangers. Of, of course, I went. I went there. But yeah, they, there's a. Um, a, a pretty diverse cast of voice actors. Uh, um, some people that you sort of see in the cast of every anime and some people that are uh, lesser-known names, but uh, just a lot of fun casting in general. And uh, I, I think they really, really um, gave a budget to the voice direction here because they, they there is a lot of effort put in. I, I can't think of a single bad performance. And, uh, oh, really? Well, I, I can think of one. I can think of a few, definitely. Uh, we'll okay, we'll, get into it. Okay, well, uh, none of them are definitely, uh, John DiMaggio playing, Har- playing Heidegger. Oh, cause, oh cause no, no, no. Because Bender, Bender slash Waka is perfect. Oh, that was John DiMaggio? 
Yeah. yeah. I didn't, oh, I didn't realize amazing. that either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's one character or voice performance that we thought was a little underwhelming or bad? Because I, I was pretty taken by all of it. Uh, I think it's Sephiroth. I think he's terrible, actually. Oh. I really, okay. I, yes. I have a massive issue with Sephiroth as a character overall in remake. I think, um, yep. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I we'll get to it again because it's kind of tied to the ending. But yeah, I just think it's a combination of his voice being softer and also the script being all Zemnus from Kingdom Hearts. I think <laughs> I just except, I thought, except, like, with, except without the dulcet tones of Paul Saint Peter. Exactly. Um, who is who is a, a wonderful human being um, i i thought that that sephiroth was sort of unsettling in a way that was successful but i uh, but i i didn't i don't know i i, I, I guess I, I didn't love his voice i guess i was talking mm. i was talking about this with um with rob with rob um and we came to the conclusion i think that that tyler hochley needs to stop whispering all of his lines he sounds a little too breathy um, at points, like he's trying a little too hard to be sinister, and it's going okay. This is uh, a minor, a relatively minor point of contention for me, but I'm so used to how these characters are supposed to sound in right. the the compilation and in other Final Fantasy spinoff media. They've been using the same actors for these characters for more than a decade now. And I just think George Newburn's Sephiroth was way better. I think so. I think that's really hard with most of the cast. I think I'm generally good with most of the changes. I think I am... Tifa and Aerith in particular are a million times better than they yes, were. Like you've already talked are... about how well they're written and characterized, but like I think part of that is the voice actresses completely getting those characters as well. And like, you know, Tifa always sounded a bit too high pitched and squeaky for me, and now she's like, Oh yeah, that's a twenty year old who's been through some shit, basically. And Yeah, no, you know, I agree. And they are wonderful. And I was also very surprised by how much I liked Barrett in this game. Right, yeah. Because Bar Barrett, Barrett fits into a lot of stereotypes, but at the same time in this game, you really get a feel for... He has a sense of warmth to him. He has a sense of, yeah. of caring and being a father. And my one of my favorite early lines of dialogue is right after the Airbuster fight when he calls to Cloud that, I was wrong about you. And just seeing his... um his transformation into like this ride or die bro with cloud is, is quite <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. 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 Barrett is, um, most of his lines are growled or shouted, which is, a which is maybe a little unfortunate, but sort of consistent with him. But also you get a feeling of honesty and passion from him. Like he's, he's, yeah. a, he's, he's a very genuine person who means every single thing he growls or shouts. And he, Barrett had the weirdest tendency <laughs> for me personally to say exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> like, 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 sure that's about you, Mike. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like uh, for one dungeon, I think it, I think it was I think it was Reactor Five or the sewers or or maybe both. He just says, "If I have to climb up one more damn ladder, that that, <laughs> that, 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 that I just yeah. that I just immediately understood." And when, one time, I was spending a little bit too long checking every single nook and cranny of one room and waiting, and before going on to where my party was waiting with, to, towards the correct direction. And and Barrett said, "What the hell are you doing over there, dumbass?" <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm and, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Barrett, you got me on this one. And then, and yeah, then of course, enough. and then of course, if you choose to go up the stairs in Shinra Tower, Barrett's commentary, uh, oh, yes. yeah, Barrett's oh, commentary yeah. where he's like, first, yeah, yeah, yeah. First he's angry, then he's just tired, then he <laughs> he he moves over into giddy and starts singing, and then he's tired and angry again. <laughs> and, and around and around floor fifty five, he's like, you know, I'm just gonna go back down and take the elevator. <laughs> no, he says something to 
of the cinema effect in the originals. Well, and I'm surprised that most a lot of people didn't know that was in the original. I was yeah, I really didn't. shocked. I, I, one of the things they did. Yeah. I, I always did. Oh I always took the elevator in the original because I've only beaten Same the original. I've only beaten the original game two or three times, which is way fewer than the, 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 the I don't know ten times I've beaten FF4. But like I, I don't know like Barrett. At first, he felt like an over-the-top stereotype, like like okay, simmer down, Barrett. And then by the end of the game, I'm like, you know what, Barrett, don't simmer down. You you just do you just you do you. And uh, <laughs> and it's, it's not quite as delightful as the Aerith Tifa friendship, <laughs> but Barrett sort of, <laughs> I think he sort of immediately likes Red Thirteen. Right. In, in a way that's sort of funny. He's like, "Huh, you all right, lab rat dog?" And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, oh, and then, yeah. and then like, and but, and and he sort of like enjoys Red Thirteen. Like, yeah, like, hey, this dog is pretty cool. And then Red Thirteen is like, "What is this idiot doing?" Yeah, I think my favorite line in the entire game is when they're on the back of the car, and then Barrett says something about the truck, and then Red Thirteen's like, "Well, I'm standing next to a 300 pound sack of shit or something <laughs> like that." <And> he's like, <laughs> really? I must say, Max Millman does an incredibly good job as Red Thirteen because I. Have we only get Red 13 for two and a half chapters, and which is, you know, consistent with the pace of the game and when Red 13 joins you in the original, but I, I wanted more. He was, Red 13 was super good in this game. Yeah, that's another voice role that I think was an improvement over the compilation, because I love Liam O'Brien, but this guy's, this the new voice suits Red 13 a lot He better. also only got, like, three lines of dialogue in the entire compilation. <laughs> he has, like, one, he has, like <laughs> one line at the end of Advent Children just to remind us that he's there. Yeah, um, like but, one um, for, um, the Dirge of Cerberus, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, um, oh god, no, uh, if I had one voice actor, actor complaint, it's, um, and I've mentioned this in our Slack channel before, it's Reno, and that's only because I'm, mm. Quint I like Quentin Flynn so much, you guys, right. and I Quentin miss Flynn's him, so and I get why that they changed all the voices, they want this to be a fresh take on the universe, and if they're recasting the whole cast, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to bring back some of the old voice actors, but not all of them. But uh, it's it's just it doesn't compare. Any anytime Quentin Flynn shows up in something, whether that's as Reno, whether that's in Kingdom Hearts as Axel, whether that's in uh, in Metal Gear as Raiden, like I just um, it's so strange because his voice is so um, his voice is so whiny and such. But every but every time I'm just like yeah. I am. I am here for this. I am here for your voice acting. Like, he's, I, he's very distinctive. I well, okay. I'm, I'm not going to comment on Kingdom Hearts and Metal Gear voice actors, please. But I, I, I um, <laughs> I actually really liked how they handled both Reno and Rude in this game yeah, because oh, I, I, I thought I'm song. because I it, it, song too. But um, just them in particular. First of all, we're getting uh, Rude much earlier now than we did in uh, in in original FF7, which which I thought was good. Because I don't think you even see Rude until, like, when? Gungaga or something? Yeah. Oh, no, Shimmer Tower. And he's at the elevator, isn't he? Yeah. He's HQ. But, but you yeah. don't, you, but you, okay, you, but you barely get him, any, yeah. anything out of him, and you definitely don't fight him. But in the, but this time you get a Reno fight, then a Rude fight, then a Reno and Rude fight, and then plenty of appearances by them in the second half of the game. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I hated their characterization in Advent Children, but yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not. But I'm, I'm not the. I, I'm not the biggest fan of compilation in general because because they were basically. They were comic relief. Yeah, like in original FF7, they were genuine threats that sort of became comic relief in, later in the game, and but in in uh, Advent Children, they were only comic relief, 
in a way that that I that that I thought was really disappointing. I that was one of my least favorite things about Advent Children, which is a game we have cut. Which I'm sorry, a movie we have co- covered on this podcast before. It's the best Final Fantasy movie. But yeah, incredibly <laughs> low bar. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> yes. That's like saying it's better. That's like saying, oh, it was the best World War. Like, mm, I don't know. Have We're, you seen Spirits Within? Have you seen King's Glaive? <laughs> I, we did. I know. I did, oh, I know. Oh, I listened to that podcast. <laughs> but Reno, Reno, and Rude in the remake, um, they're genuine threats, and they even keep some of the stuff from Advent Children, like 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 Rude having an endless supply of sunglasses in his suit. Right. That but, was amazing. Yeah, yes, I love that. But also, they're still funny. Yeah. Yeah. The they, but thing, they're still it? they're still funny, and they're still consistent. But they're also cooler, and I think I can treat them seriously and and amusingly, how they're yeah. handled here. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, still yeah. won't hurt Tifa, which is, I love yeah. that role. Yeah, Rude has a, a small to medium-sized crush on Tifa, which I totally accept. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. who, who, who wouldn't? Uh, I, I, I support Tifa slash Rude much more than Tifa slash Johnny. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, God, Johnny. Why are you... They made Johnny annoying comic relief, but if they had to make one character that, he's he's a fine choice, I guess. Yeah, I, I, honestly, that worked for me. The best thing about Johnny, though, is his run. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. <laughs> just, Johnny just doesn't move his upper body, and so his legs just kind of... And, like, his legs just kind of swirl when he runs. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> And no one else in the game runs like he does. And it's really just strange and off-putting, and I found it really funny. <laughs> yeah, even even Wedge runs more gra- gracefully than Johnny does, which is mm-hmm. which is strange. But in, speaking of Wedge, we mentioned how uh, Wedge, Jesse, and Biggs are not new characters in this game, but got a lot more characterization, especially in Chapter 4, where Cloud goes on a mission with the three of them, where you, mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, you meet Jesse's parents, in a way, like half off-screen, half unconscious and uh jesse is just a shameless flirt but uh but 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 a kind of extremely fun shameless flirt and i mean i because all of us had played final fantasy 7 beforehand we knew going in or at least felt going in that all three of these characters were going to die and this is a little bit emotionally manipulative of the writers here but they 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 really got us to fall in love with those three avalanche members before the the plate falls in chapter, uh, what is it, twelve or thirteen? I think twelve. 12 yeah. yeah. So really, and the plate drop is heartbreaking. Yeah, really, really good on them. Like, like they even make the plate drop feel weightier by adding a dungeon where you go through one of the plates. So, you, so you feel how huge a, a construction undertaking these things are, and and so like instead of the plate dropping just being like I don't know like a like like a uh, you know a pie shaped peg falling into a hole like it was in like it was in the uh, F, in original FF seven it's this huge chaotic uh, steel and and uh, and brick everywhere uh, they they even can they even say how there's like how there's artificial suns uh, held by lamps under the under each plate it it it, it 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 communicates better how big these plates are and how catastrophic a plate falling is. Yeah, and even the fact that the people there were people living on top of the plate was something that they didn't really like get into very yeah, much. Yeah, in how there's there's yeah. There, there's topsiders and undersiders in this, which so they, you know, which creates a class. Yeah, yeah, they deep sixed like a huge chunk of their population, and it just makes Shinra. I mean, they were already like despicable, but you just it really really cuts deeper in the remake. I think. 
personally. They astoundingly made uh, uh, President Shinra like more hateable in this one. Yeah, no kidding. All three of them, like yeah. Heidegger and Scarlet as well. I love the fact that Heidegger was just like a hundred percent like, Bwah-ha-ha-ha. right? We're going to make him like all perfect. Love didn't translate perfectly, but yeah. And uh, and Scarlet uh, using Shinra troopers as footstools. I'm a I I'm a hundred a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent in favor. Uh, and getting off on materia growth. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. That was. I, I hope they recreate a certain scene with Scarlet from the second half of FF7 oh, in the I, future one. I wonder what oh scene God. that is. Well, we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk about that at the end. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, now that we're, we're just... We're, we're going to be jumping all over the place, but the, the, the plate collapse, and both, like, exploring the plate before Chapter 12 and then in Chapter 13, crawling through the wreckage and finding, right. this, finding this hidden lab, that tragic moment at the midpoint of the game hits way harder in the remake than the original. It's, I think because of everything we've said, because of how much more attached we are to Biggs Wedge and Jesse and, and how much and how much better communicated these communities are. Exploring Sector uh seven in chapter three, it feels like a real RPG town. Like you're you're playing a Yakuza yeah. game for uh for <laughs> for, for forty five minutes or an hour, going around and meeting people and doing side quests and stuff. And it makes it feel much more like a real place than Seventh Heaven was in the in the old game. And uh, I mean, Seventh Heaven, Tifa getting you drinks. You can play. You can play darts. I. I. I my only regret is I don't get to see what the uh, what the basement looks like. I know. That's really yeah, sad. I'm glad they had the lucky. I'm glad they had the lucky sevens on the slot. That was cool. <laughs> and even yeah. even the the random lady at the orphanage is secretly a dancer at the Honeybee Inn. Like right? <laughs> you don't yeah. get you don't get any details uh, like that in that yeah you don't get any details like that in 1997 FF7 that's amazing public, public education in Midgar is uh, really going to the pits man <laughs> as as someone who as someone who when I was when I was doing teaching I would like go and teach psychology and then sometimes at night I would be um, you know playing with my flamboyant rock band I kind of felt that <laughs> it made me it made me think it made me think of a scene in varsity blues that I will not describe for this podcast um, even small characterizations feel really powerful in in remake and uh how attractive is everyone in this game holy oh, crap God. I have so many things to say so I mean this might be like the the horniest game I've played in terms of it actually connecting with with me as a player because <laughs> they're actually <laughs> it's, like, it's like horny in an incredibly in an incredibly endearing sort of way exactly not, yeah. Yeah. usually it's like in your face like, just, uh, please stop but this time I'm like yes I'm here for it I think this game might be hornier than Tokyo Mirage Sessions which I played earlier this year and Tokyo Mirage Sessions had to edit out vagina bones so the less we talk about that the better but like they, they just <laughs> they, they just i mean this is a really pretty game and they made everyone look so good that like i would be i, I would be the opposite of surprised for any uh mini fandom about any character other than hojo is this podcast well, going to be too horny i mean no, okay am, am i going to have to slap so. the ex- explicit tag on See the thing is, like for me, I'm like I'm oh, not no. a very sexual person at all, and so like, and so with the game because it's flirty, but it's not like hyper sexualized. Really, yeah. it's just like, oh, these are very like these are very pretty people, and they're going to flirt with each other, but it's not going to be like, yeah, we're going to like 
hook up or something. I was really, I was really comfortable with that. I never felt, um, I never felt like discomforted or like, ew, or I don't want to see this or hear about this right now. Cause it was just cute. It was just, it was just flirty going back and forth. Like, um, like with Jesse, especially, I thought it was so endearing and cute, um, which I really appreciate because I've definitely played RPGs where it is not, where that is not the case. And I'm like, please stop being weird about this. <laughs> but can, can love bloom in a laboratory? Yeah, don't, 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 I mean, Lucretia I mean, saw something in Hojo at some point, so, you know. Hojo tried to make Love Bloom in a laboratory when he locked Red 13 and Aerith in a cell <laughs> together in the original game, which is a, a, th- a, th- a scene they thankfully did not recreate for this. And um, I should say, if Jesse, if Jesse is the most fun flirt in this game, I think the most intimidating flirt in this game is probably my favorite new character, Andrea Rodea. Hell yeah. Andrea Rodea! What do you find intimidating no. about that? Intimidating is the wrong verb. Uh, powerful, maybe. I mean, yeah, he could say anything to you and be like, "Yeah, I'm in." Fine. Yeah, uh-huh, that is, right. That is, that is strong gay energy. It, extremely, extremely powerful. Not, not gay energy. I think it's. I think it's just it's sexual. Clear, I think. It's, I think it's, it's, it's. I would yeah. just. I would just call it sexual energy. Um. Uh. Andrea Rodea does not care about gender or anything other than beauty and movement. And he th- and he looks at Cloud in the Coliseum and says, "Hmm." That's a handsome young man, and he can really move. Invite him to the, invite him to the Honeybee Inn, and then and then the most amazing scene in the whole game takes place. They, uh, they shortly managed afterwards. to make the cross-dressing scene weirdly progressive in a way. I'd say so. Yeah, your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary, but I liked it. I thought well, it yeah. oh, I think it's better. I, like, it's I thought yes. it was. Yeah, it's it's, I mean, it's better, but I I don't think it's um. It's still a little bit male gaze because everyone is just really just talking about how hot uh, they are in dresses. But uh, yeah, but but also it's... although although Cla- Cloud going like Tifa's like Cloud, are you? Yes, got it, nailed it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it I don't know. Like I, I the this is not my original observation. I saw someone mention the uh, cross dressing scenes and the honeybee and stuff in general. Uh, they they said it was like straight people trying to write and depict gay tr- gay culture but in a way but 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 trying to do good and trying to be positive mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. i i, I think I, I think i think it's a fair reading and um i i i should mention i'm a i'm i'm a i'm a straight male so i'm not i'm not coming to this with any with any foreknowledge or or a specific feeling about it but I, I thought it was fun and visually spectacular. Like uh, my of all of the mini games in this game, the 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 rhythm game the, uh, at the Honeybee Inn is probably the one I want to replay the most. But but can't <laughs> but can't. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the main thing is is that it's not comic relief. That's the biggest difference, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like in the original, the whole thing is played for laughs, but in a really uncomfortable way. Whereas this, it's funny, but it's funny because it's so warm and like you know Aerith getting behind the whole thing like yeah go on you can do this yeah, yeah get in. like yeah like it's just it's funny for the right reasons rather than being funny for oh there's you know cloud in a bath with a load of men and that really uncomfortable scene that just yeah, yeah it's oh, and, it, and it, it's it's celebrated and positive and never exactly. and, and and never really that even the people at the gym they're not um they're they're yeah. not like being creepy, they're like, "Yeah, we're here to sweat and and uh, and get swole." How about you? Uh, ex- except for like, there was during the during the squats, which 
I didn't always pick up on because I was very intensely focused on the squats and pull-ups. <laughs> like one of them said something about like you can you can beat the sissy or something like that, or right, like yeah. making like some degrading comments oh. about Tifa. And so it was like that. I, I can't remember yeah. what exactly per per word, per word choice and all, and also this um, I mean pull ups are probably the hardest mini game in the game I didn't um, yeah. I didn't I I I uh, I couldn't beat the gym owner in them because I I topped out at around thirty five to thirty eight and and uh, and they hit forty five I think so I, I I would need to replay that chapter to, to get that trophy but I'm I, not there yet I spent an hour on it but I got it <laughs> I I quit after probably fifteen or twenty minutes uh uh because it's like it's like man i gotta record a podcast in five days i, I don't know if i if, if i should hang out here too long too long yeah but, not, not only can you can you not make any mistakes but you also have to actually just do it well like it's, it's very difficult <laughs> i i agree with a, a lot of stuff around um wall market um being wonderful and stuff and with honeybee and i think it was um it was like a lot of you know uh non-queer people like showcasing a more queer slash diverse setting um and like yeah it's not like it it isn't perfect or something like that but it's so it's so much better than so many of its contemporaries um Uh and i like i at least really appreciated that i was like yes thank you for something that doesn't like that it would that i would have to do some critical thinking more about like um, you know, deeper ideas on male gaze and such like that to um, to be um, kind of discomforted or something by it, just on like a base level playing through it. I was like, yeah, I'm good with this. It's a rhythm game. It's fantastic. <laughs> it was a slightly weird rhythm game in that it was asymmetrical in how they would pre- pre- uh, present you the button prompts. And uh, and sometimes they were even obscured by the, by the scenery or by Cloud or mm-hmm. Andrea themselves. But it's so flashy. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I've I've played a fair number of rhythm games, so I was able to uh, to get you know a good rating enough to um, for Aerith to cheer three times at least. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. The um I, I also liked the other two uh, Wall Market uh, leaders. I thought that whole side quest was actually very interesting. Um, Chocobo Sam and uh, the massage uh, the massage lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Madam yeah. M's rage was like everything. Yeah, <laughs> she was better, you better you better shell out for a, for a worthwhile massage, otherwise, oh, you're in for a world of pain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Chocobo Sam, Madam M, and Andrea Rodea are an amazing trio of kingpins in Wall Market, and and Wall Market is like almost I think a a more fun version of Chapter Three, where they give you this this semi urban setting to explore and do side quests in. Again, it, it briefly turns into a, into a yakuza game, but uh, I, I thought it was great. It made it made Walmart Walmart feel much more like a real place in a lived in setting than than a 1997 Walmart. Yep, yeah. I agree. Do you think like those side quests at Walmart? Maybe you like them or feel that that's better more because those side quests are tributes to how you get the dress in the original mm-hmm. game because that's what I all did. of them are. I yeah, did ignore exactly. that. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I had issues with more side quests. Like the earlier ones just felt like really typical to me. And there's a couple later on. Yeah. I think generally they're okay, but like these in particular because they played off of, oh, you've got to do the squats. Oh, you've got to get the do the dressmaker thing. Oh, you've got to do the hotel thing, you know, kind of thing. Just step like, it. <laughs> yeah, you've got to do like all that. And it's it plays to the originals and is a homage to it, but like it's not that's not how you get the dress anymore. Um No, but, yeah. Yeah. So 
I uh, I think the side quests got better as the game went on. Um, some of the yeah. later ones, in particular, I enjoyed going back to the one underground dungeon and fighting the behemoth. Like that's the kind of optional content I love mm-hmm. in RPGs. Yeah, like, yeah. Here's, here's a secret little boss fight. You don't have to do this, but it's neat. Yeah, a, a cool yeah. a cool boss fight that uh, re-explores a setting, but a little bit more quickly. And and um, gives you a pretty good reward because all yeah. all of those uh, that, that's right. that's what you want out of side quests. And I thought maybe I thought maybe nine was a little bit much in chapter fourteen, especially since I I, yeah. I didn't get the achievement because I I missed picking up the letter somehow. But, right, yeah. but you can't do all the side quests in one playthrough anyway. You have to go and redo War Market because there's two branching paths there. So. Yeah. yeah, it depends on who ends up endorsing you at the end or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but mm-hmm. it's it's. I thought sometimes because I was compelled to complete them all, I felt like there's maybe a bit too many here. Right. <sighs> but, uh, but I, 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 I missed one music disc, and I am mad. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I mi- I missed. I at mean, least, that's like I'd, that's I'd my have to, side quest. <laughs> I'd have I'd have to check a list, but I I I did miss at least one. But I thought it was cool that you can. You can pick up weird, goofy music remixes either from vending machines or jukeboxes, or by walking by someone and hearing the music change and asking them what they're what they're uh-huh. playing. That was really good, and it, again, that was one of the best things from Fifteen was um, buying new. Sa- you could buy video game yeah. soundtracks and play them in your car. <laughs> and I'm glad they. I'm glad this is becoming a thing in the Final Fantasy universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does kind of highlight one thing that probably I'm most. I don't know about critical of it's just different um but with like the nostalgia and such and the the warmth of this game i think it gets away from some of the desperation and sort of grimy uh like some of the grimy urban setting of uh of the original game like it it feels it feels more warm and it feels more like a there's still you know there's still, you know, desperate moments and such. You, you didn't but... think you didn't think the slums in Sector Six or Sector Seven were grimy enough? I, I think there's too much daylight, personally. Yeah, I mean, there I is think... waste shunt this on the I think it's too. Yeah, not that it's too, but it is. But if they were attempting to, you know, when I was playing through um, the original Seven, it felt like this is a this is a community like on like on the brink of collapse in a way and it just it felt seedy um and such in a way that even wall market i don't think really um captured and it's just a it's just a different feel you know i got different things and and it touched on different ideas playing through um the original versus the remake um whereas the remake is more um comforting i think yeah, I think there's like an oppressiveness almost to the setting yes. in in the original Midgar, and I I don't sense that as much here. I don't again, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because I think mm-hmm. that um, it 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 sort of matches. I think the slight change in tone with this game. I do think this is just a warmer game yes. um, than than the original. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like feeling constricted, even though like you're you know almost on like a track for most of this game, Final Fantasy thirteen style until chapter fourteen. Um, it still didn't feel. Um, I mean, I, I'm basically just agreeing with you, but yes, <laughs> I agree. I I sort of don't agree. Um, I think that the the reason you feel that way is probably mostly because of lighting. Uh, like like the slums are are darker in uh in in original FF7, but in this game they I think that they're, by trying to flesh out how the construction of Midgar is and how manufactured it is, they talk 
in detail about the lamps over each sector. And there's even a, a, a for part of one dungeon, you have to shut off the la the lamps above I think sec sector five to get to the uh, maybe maybe sector sector six to get to the uh, uh, to get through the plate to the uh, sector five reactor. And as a result, like it's sunnier and warmer in the, in sector seven and Wall Market than in the original games. But that also gives you the added context that they're, um, they are trapped under a giant metal pizza, but there's lights <laughs> on the bottom of the metal pizza because of, because of Shinra, like, you know, keeping them under heat lamps like, uh, like late food at a restaurant. <laughs> I, that is, I, I, diegetically, I, I agree with you, Mike, but I'm, I, I'm a li I, I can see where Joe and Zach are coming from, though. Because um, the lighting is still a choice made by the developers, even though there is an in-universe reason for it. And I always got the impression, and at least in the original Seven, that Sector Seven's slums were almost like in perpetual darkness. Yeah. Um, and I and I understand. Okay, I get diegetically. There's a reason for this, and I, it doesn't bother me. I still felt like you, you felt that. I think I think I definitely felt the uh, the poverty of the slums, especially when you go to chapter four and you get to see what a normal community looks like in, but at the same time, I could, I could see like, there's like, at least for a couple parts of it when it's like just this bright sunny day and people are just going about their business. It's like, okay, this is a little bit more, a little more chill. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you overhear people's dialogue, there are certainly characters who are talking about not having food and not having clothes and things like that. And mm. I think a lot of the warmth of it is actually like you can go back to a really famous line of dialogue that Barrett says both in the original and in remake in that they'll make them they make the most of things essentially that's what it means like you know the bit where he talks about being under the pizza and they're like they don't choose to be there but they make what they can of it essentially and that is kind of what I take away from it in that I think original seven is definitely really grimy and dark oppressive maybe because of limitations in that and because I love yeah. those like pre-rendered backgrounds and stuff they're just really uh -huh. dirty and I love like taking it all in but i think seven remake really hammers down the kind of they will make what they will they'll do what they can with it and make what they can of it and i think that it's yeah. really lovely to see it and this is something joe and i brought up in random a couple of weeks ago um the contrast between the underplates and the upper plate that you yeah. go to in chapter mm -hmm. four um like it's cold and dark you don't see any people there all the lights the well, i mean it's night anyway but like every time you're on the upper plates it's dark when you're at the shimmer tower everything it's dark you don't get any sense of warmth from that so there's automatically like a difference in atmosphere deliberately to hammer home that like poverty and the class difference but yeah I there's something that, there's something yeah. artificial about it yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah. and i think that like barrett's dialogue line from the original and the remake because they do recreate it, essentially of being under the pizza and making you know we don't choose where we live but we'll do what we can with it kind of thing kind of hammer is hammered home through this that's just kind of how i take it I guess. But, but Final Fantasy VII was never political, you guys. I mean, it's like the most political one, is it not? If yeah, you yeah. Get yeah. I, know, I know, I'm sorry. Reddit, people no, on Reddit are Don't worry. Don't worry. My sarcasm is not very good. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it also, I think, makes, um, when you first get to Walmart, it, it makes that just a bit more jarring. Um, right, and yeah, that's so, another so, thing. Suddenly you're not surrounded by the, the people who are on rough times, but they're making the most of it. You're in like a seedy nightclub area, and um, it's a just pleasure going district, the... isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah like it, in it, the original, it's not a pleasure district. It's it feels just like so a back much alley. Yeah, 
grosser in the remake, mm-hmm. I think. Like, just going into back alleys and see, and, like, people are, like, threatening you and stuff like that. And, and the, everybody's vomiting. It's something that's completely immoral and illegal, but is allowed to, but is allowed to exist. And you even can find the middle manager that, uh, that ha- sasses you on a train in Chapter 2. Uh, right. wait, waiting in line for the honeybee in. And, and, oh, and, I didn't notice yeah. that. In chapter cool. 9, right. yeah. It, it, it doesn't create exactly the same vibe as 1997 FF7, but I, I think it feels it, it feels more lived in and more fleshed out in a way that I really appreciate it. Like, of course, oh, but, 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 but they, yeah. give, they, they give it more di- more dialogue and more game and more playtime real estate to do so. Uh, but uh, your, your mileage may vary on this, but I also really liked Leslie. Um, no, I... Oh, yeah. You didn't no, like him. Okay. Um, I thought no. I really liked him. I thought he's a compilation character. I know that yeah. much. Yeah. Um and... I don't know. I just found him really forced and I found quite a few of the new characters really really forced actually. Um Roach in particular. I kind of I kind of like Roach. I got I, yeah, I, 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 I like Roach, but like what's he there for? I, I, what are you doing? Why are you touching the bike? Stop doing things. He, he, he just really he's just really really horny for his motorbike. I I really thought Roach would come back. As a yeah. mid as a mid boss in like chapter seventeen or um or in, I thought so in, too or or in 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 some future uh, bike action but it never happened he is he seems, feels like a waste of space I was and, wait I was waiting for him to, for him to do a comeback during the highway escape and, and it didn't happen yeah, and, and also I don't know the, the 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 compilation character I disliked the most was probably that uh that thief girl in chapter four yeah Kyrie yeah, yeah. Kyrie yeah. was weird she but had some they're... fun animations didn't she yeah, no they right. gave they Whoa. gave they gave her lot of animations and 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 really tried to make her something in chapter 14 but it really felt like you know like uh like aiming at the at the wallets of people that buy us figurines of a certain type of waifu i, d- I didn't like it at all right well, well i mean do, you know they know their market and but, you um, notice that she was on the train in chapter two yeah i did yeah which, I did. which because and and i i wondered like it's, it kind of gave me a strange feeling because I was like, oh, what's her significance going to be? Because, you know, you have all these regular characters and then you have, yeah, like... The person you know, who looks like a Velvet Room attendant. Exactly, right. yeah. And so it's... And, yeah, she didn't really end up having too much significance, so... Uh. But, I, I, she again, they her and Leslie were both from one of the spinoff novels. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like Le- I, I liked Leslie a lot. I mean, I, a, I thought it was okay. It's interesting that they have kind of a middle a middle manager for Corneo who screens the uh, auditions and also kind of kind of like ter- turns heel at the end. But I also liked his little quest. I thought that well, story I mean, he, was if, any, really if anything, mm-hmm. if anything, he he turns face at the end. Yeah, I know, no, exactly. I, okay. But I, that's, I thought I thought his little quest and the story about his um, his fiance was kind of tragic. I wish they hadn't included the story about the fiance. For, yeah, for, me for, too. For him being an extremely pragmatic uh, gatekeeper for Corneo, I thought that was fine. It's like, oh, okay, this guy works for Corneo, and he, but he's trying to tell Cloud and Aerith like it is. Like, he's like, like he's like, hey guys, you really don't want to do yeah, this. Like, I, I, yeah, yeah like, like, like I thought that was all right. I thought I thought I thought they tried to stretch him a little bit too thin by having him secretly yeah. hate Corneo and have this whole story about a fiance and and like a lot of the chapter the second half of chapter fourteen stuff involves Leslie. It's like I I didn't need all of this. 
I didn't it need it and I don't like it. It's mm. probably my least favorite part of the game. I really hated going through the sewers again and fighting Abzu for a second time. Why are we fighting the same boss? You know, like, why? It was so padded. And don't forget was... ch uh, chasing a pig rat for 20 minutes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, like, God. I have to go through the Sahogans again, the pig mm. rats and everything. Yeah. And I was just mm -hmm. like... I was kind of losing it because I'm like, I want to do the show. Oh, and the, and, and the, we the, and the weird power. bats that stun you. I'm not. I wasn't a fan of any of that. Yeah, yeah that whole just... sequence. And, I, and that whole time, I'm like, I'm also trying to find like Corneo's stash for one of the side quests. Right. And yeah. Being afraid I'm gonna miss it. And so yeah. like, it took me like almost an hour to get through that ridiculous dungeon, and then the Sahagans. I hate the Sahagans. I'm a little bit amazed we haven't talked about gameplay at all in over in almost an hour. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah. In the in the, in the uh, in the interest of it of the having this podcast go under two hours, um, yeah, the gameplay is good. <laughs> yeah, it's real good. Yeah. Any anyone got any criticisms? No, great. Moving on. Okay, um, uh, okay, no, yep. no, I have one criticism. Is it is it about it to, being? Is it about? You about, better. Is you it better a, not. Yeah, Peter. Is it about it being turn based? No, I'm, sur like I'm the, surprised. I like I like the combat a lot. I like how it feels once you get a chance to experiment with it. Um, I, I really got it once again, I got a feel for it. I was really enjoying myself, but I have two criticisms. One is that um, that opportunity to experiment with it doesn't come until chapter 14. Yes. <laughs> um, and I really need, I really think those, some of those fight challenges need to be earlier in the game. So you can yeah. practice with individual party members. There is, because... there is a fight challenge in a, in chapter four. You can, um, there's a, uh, there's a, a training room that's to the side of the mission that you do with a uh, Biggs wedge and Jesse. It's only a couple fights. It's, it's nothing like the Colosseum in Chapter Nine or the but, or, or the expanded Colosseum in Chapter Four. I, I thought it was just like three turrets you had to take down. Yeah, it's it's barely it's, it's barely anything. But it's yeah. um but, yeah. but, but, but technically um you do get a Colosseum in Chapter Nine, which is the only time you can get Aerith's uh, second limit break, and then and then a much bigger one in Chapter Fourteen, and a uh, and the Shinra one in Chapter Sixteen. Yeah, and see, I like that opportunity to like learn the ins and outs of each party member's move set, which I did like. I like how versatile they all were. Um, uh, the my other concern, and this is a this is a relatively minor thing, but I do think it's something they should add in the next game. Is um they re this game really needs an equivalence to the Leaf Bracer skill from Kingdom Hearts. Which makes yeah. it so that you. I disagree. Um... We shouldn't make things more similar to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> okay, like it's it, it's it's it makes it so that um your heals can't get interrupted. Um, and the, my issue is that with spells and the wind up times for casting more advanced healing magic, it's very likely that an enemy is going to hit you and you're going to waste your ATB and your MP, and yeah. that's really annoying. That's true, yeah. but I, but I think the other side of that coin is you can interrupt enemy castings. And um and mm -hmm. and I think it would be and, and that's a key part of uh of gameplay watching enemy tells and trying to interrupt their either in either preparing a counter for a physical attack or interrupting a casting for a magic attack and I think that maybe I, I wish the casting times were a little bit faster. Um, that and I think enemies are too because the enemy AI is set to target the player most of the time. Um, if you switch party members, they usually change their attention to where the player is going. Yeah. So you need to either have provoke materia set up, or you need to have your non-targeted characters be doing the casting. I understand that dimension to the strategy, but like during like one-on-one -on -one fights, like again, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I know you disagree with me, Alana, but the Rufus Shinra fight—that was a total. <laughs> I, I so disagree bitch. with you. 
<laughs> because I I, it, it, once you know the trick, I think it's a well-designed fight. The problem is, is that you need to use a specific. You don't. You don't need to use a specific skill. You can switch into. No. Uh, you can switch into. Uh, Cloud's triangle mode and then just guard because it, because yep. that that turns every, everything into a counter. Oh, but no, but no, 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 no. That's only for physical attacks. Once the dog mm. is taken care of, his bullets will. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no. You, you don't counter the bullets. For that, you have to use use uh, use attacks or if you can an ATB move when he's reloading. Yeah. Yes, but his attacks push you away from him, so you can't hit him while he's reloading. That was yeah. That's why you. That's why you. That's why you should judiciously guard and position yourself well. I think the larger complaint here is that um, this isn't true for every boss fight, but most of them have a mechanic or a trick that is really key to making the boss fight uh, more doable. And yeah. Yeah. whether whether it's uh, figuring out the rotating elemental weaknesses yeah. of Hellhouse or targeting the wheels in the last part of the Elagor fight and not the first part of the Elagor fight, or um, mm, or or, or what, yeah, yeah, or or when to when to count when to counter the uh, his uh, his coral pet and uh, and then and then guard against his bullets against the Rufus Shinra fight um, about you know uh, taking care of the tentacles and for Dreamweaver like like there's a there's a mechanic or an exploit for most of the big encounters of the game. And if you don't land on that, a lot of the fights can be a struggle. And I think so I think a lot of the time, and this was the case for some of the fights I struggled with, like Airbuster and the final Sephiroth fight, um, a lot I think sometimes the solution is to die, go back to uh, before the fight, re uh, like reorganize your materia a little bit. And like and and uh, and approach with a d and then retry the fight with a different approach. I mean, these aren't fights that will light up the weaknesses for you or will follow a consistent logic for them the whole game, like a, yeah. like as like a Zelda boss or a Dark Souls boss. But no, and I appreciate that. Yeah, but um, it's again, I think the system gives you a, a decent amount of freedom. You just have to sometimes go into the weird nooks and crannies of the system to win. Like I, I thought that the uh, the Hellhouse fight was easier than average for bosses. And that's because I just I had all of my magic materia already equipped, and I used Aerith for more than seventy percent of the fight. Yeah, and I think right. the game I think the game needs like a quick a quick restart. Like you can restart to right before the fight, but I think just the option to go to the menu and then reset the fight would be yeah. just to speed things up just a tad. Would I, be nice. I think that the the most perfect video game for quickly. Allowing you to fail and restart in is uh, is Super Meat Boy, and mm -hmm. well, because idea, yeah yeah exactly because yeah, like not in Celeste yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh I haven't played Celeste but in, at least in Super Meat Boy when you die and you will die a lot and fail often it has you at the beginning of the stage ready to either stage select or try it again within one second yeah that's, and and, and that's I wish I, I I wish every video game was that efficient with it. And but but at least at least they let you choose to either go back to la before the fight or last checkpoint, and we're uh, basically done with the days of being forced to rewatch long cutscenes or forced to go through <laughs> go through long sections of a dungeon. Because they're, oh, they're, they're except for the final boss sequence, but we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If if a if a cutscene mm -hmm. is part of a is part of the boss fight, like mid fight, I don't think you can skip it. But most of the, yeah, but most of the stuff pre fight and most of the regular cutscenes you can skip by holding down triangle, which is a, an okay way to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
And like one more thing about combat is that aerial combat is not great. Yes. At oh all. no, it's terrible. Um, I don't it's, mind it's it. With, obviously, if you've got Barrett or Aerith, it's totally fine. But like the heli gunners on the, the heli, um, you know, the Shimmer mm-hmm. soldiers on the tower. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! If they fly away from the like the Barrett Bannisters. Another boss fight I struggled with was the uh, was the air armor when you're climbing up the tower in chapter. The Valkyrie. 15. Yeah, yeah, the Valkyrie. I, I I struggled with that one a little bit because it would have its shield on at weird times, and I would struggle to hit it if I was controlling Cloud uh, Cloud or Tifa because because the, the ground-to-air combat is not great for melee. No, it's yeah. really not. That, that's another another ability I think we could add in a sequel is some equivalent to aerial recovery, again, from Kingdom Hearts. I, yeah, I, maybe. It's the, it's the same combat designer from Kingdom Hearts 2. I'm allowed to make these comparisons. <laughs> I'm like, um, the combat system actually reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy thirteen. Um Yeah, definitely. Staggering, yeah. Yeah, the staggering. It mm-hmm. feels like they took the best parts of 15 and 13's combat systems and melded them together. You have yeah, the real yeah. time, you have the inner party stuff, but you also have um, you you also have the stagger system ex- and exploiting enemy weaknesses. And I think it's a very elegant culmination of what they've been trying to achieve since 2009. Yeah, and they do give um, options for easy mode and classic mode, which basically is easy mode but without the movement uh, and auto attacking. Um, with the movement and auto-attacking taking out of the player's hands, which I think are pretty good compromises. I haven't tried anything on hard mode yet, but uh, I, I know that the, like, the Scorpion boss in Chapter 1 can auto-heal if you, if, you, uh, if you take too long completing certain objectives, which sounds like a nightmare. But yeah. uh, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to go into hard mode stuff, but in general I thought the combat was sometimes challenging, mostly satisfying, but uh, there was... Sometimes it was just about finding the right approach from encounter to encounter, which, right. which, and even if I didn't find the right pr- approach and had to basically just, you know, grind it out with weak attacks because I didn't have the right attack or couldn't find it, like, I was still able to win a lot of the time that way too, which is not the worst way to handle it. I wouldn't mind, I, I want to see how Red 13 and other characters control in future games. Very, very eager to see that, in fact, because I think that the gameplay interpretations of these four characters are really good. They 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 mm-hmm. feel they feel unique. They uh they, like the AT. I wish they sometimes like you're, especially in one on one fights. You're just struggling to find another block of ATP. <laughs> Stick that mm-hmm. ATP still on, and you're totally fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can do the limit break, can't you? Um, if the materia, and you can give yourself an additional ATP bar, so you can have three. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really but... worth having on for those solo fights. I would. Really That's handy, that. and there's a materia that also can like that increases the speed of your ATB charge, mm. but and the uh, yeah. the the haste spell also has you uh, um inc- uh, have it go through much uh, mm-hmm. much faster. Yeah, I, I use. I used... Yeah, yeah. Probably just got to level it up a little bit. I noticed. Probably that, but, that yeah. could be it. Like, because I, I I didn't I I had those materia were pretty low level even by the end of the game, but um a lot of my the buffs seem to have negligible effects. I was using I was using haste all the time on Tifa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just so, <laughs> just even, even, just having that and uh, uh, a materia that like raises your ATB drastically when you're staggering. It's yeah. so nice because you stagger you stagger a boss or like a mini boss with that, and you just have Tifa dive kick for days. <laughs> Tifa is that. That and Star Shower, um, just oh, doing Tifa. that. Yeah, and... Oh my god, no, I, I used her uh, her chi attack, where if you're fighting yeah. a, a, sta- a stationary... Yeah, yeah, if, yeah, if you're fighting a stationary em- enemy, chi was awesome. For staggering, uh, you don't get true strike until near the end of the game, but it, it's uh, it's like her best move uh, uh, towards the end. Uh-huh. Um, 
it, and it's, it's just two two unbridled strength, and then press triangle, and you win. They made Tifa mm-hmm. so fun. I thought she was the most. Uh, I, I I probably took the most damage as Tifa because she doesn't have as many defensive tools as Cloud. Oh yeah. But uh, but she was like. Tifa's combos and just mashing square and triangle at the right moments as Tifa is maybe the most fun basic combat. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 um, I actually really enjoy playing as Barrett. Um, I, uh, yeah. I, I took I took your advice, advice, Joe, and I turned him into a white magic tank. Um, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it so much that I was annoyed that I couldn't use him for the final fights. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and my Aerith was not set up properly, oh, and I no. had to reset and fix her materia. Over, overall, I really liked, um, the, I really liked especially also that the items you had to use ATB for that, which could be annoying, but it eliminated the problem from 15, where you're in a boss fight where it's way too it's mm-hmm. like way past it's like way past your diff um where you should be at in terms of level but you're able to just kind of bust through it by just using your 99 phoenix downs it is impossible <laughs> yeah. to die in 15 like you have to actively try um and, so and that was a big problem with that game's design um was yeah because you could just spam items whenever Oh my um, god! I think I. I, I also think these are the best uh, vending machines, at least since Near Automata. These are very good I vending lo- machines. I, I, I love vending machines that dispense um, weapons as well as uh, <laughs> CDs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, weapons, CDs, materia, and potions, and I, 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 they have like ads for potions, like their energy drinks on the uh-huh. <laughs> on the vending machines. Yeah. Like that, that's all. It's great. very Fallout inspired, which I thought was which mm. I was not expecting. It's cute. I appreciated the little poster for Benora White. That was a cute. Right. Reference. That was a cute Crisis Core reference. Thank you, Square. Thank you for giving me that. Port I Crisis. Think- Port, put Crisis Core on the PlayStation Store, you cowards! I think it, I, I think they can't do it for music and likeness rights reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You want to bet that 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 Gash just has Tetsuya Nomura blocked? Like probably. Like he, like he called him like every day, and and Gash looks out the window, and Tetsuya Nomura is playing Eris theme on the accordion, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these aren't like compilation references, but my two favorite cute little nods to the original were the save mm-hmm. symbols on the benches, and oh, yeah. in the final in the final dungeon, I suppose, which is the secret Hojo laboratory, uh, you had to use a phone system to phone between PHS Tifa and Aerith mm-hmm. and Cloud and Barrett, and it had PHS on it, which is the original way you saved in the game in Final Fantasy VII and changed your party around with the PHS phone. Yeah, they had That's to cool. like because I don't think cell phones were hugely widespread in 1997. Right. They had to. They had to sort of explain how a cell phone works and call it the PHS. That's cool. So, so this this is this is a completely binary quibble. But everyone has smartphones in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm. But this is messing with the canon of Cloud and his Sony flip phone. Yeah, but don't forget the complaint doesn't exist. Apparently, it was either, not. It either yeah. didn't exist or it's at a past timeline. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We will get to Good. timelines very soon. Um, we will get to that. I have theories. It does get rid of the best line from Advent Children, which is just before, just bef- uh, during the, what is it, the Neo Bahamut fight where mm-hmm. Vincent shows up and he's like, does anybody have a phone or something like that? I will forever, I will forever stand Vincent's quest to find a cell phone and then, and then trying to figure out how to get Yuffie to stop calling him. Right. <laughs> Uh, this game is gorgeous too. 
Like oh, it's in, so in, pretty, and it, it's pretty. It runs buttery smooth. I had right. I had mm-hmm. a single instance of slowdown, and it was while a cutscene was loading, and I skipped and it or something. They do a lot of modern game tricks by like having uh, by hiding loading screens for new zones by having you squeeze through a narrow space or go or or go up a long ladder. But it, it uh, I I. I, I didn't notice any tearing or slowdown. Sometimes the textures in some areas were worse than other areas, mm. but I think oh. I, but that, that, that's that's asset development and not and not really a mechanical slowdown. Mm. I think it's pretty terrible throughout. Actually, like as far as like you literally just have to look at a wall and it is really badly textured. Yeah. I also think NPCs mm. look really terrible as well. Like this is a problem with fifteen as well, and that the lip syncing and that all the NPCs it's, look really shiny. They look plastic. It's been a problem in every modern Final Fantasy. Yeah, like, remember, exactly. remember the dog from Lightning Returns? Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! I think I think part of that might be they just they they have so many art assets in the main right. char- in the main characters and just did not have nearly that level of investment for uh, for NPCs. So it's uh, no. it, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a very noticeable step down. They, they yeah. have had they have had a much better luck with Unreal Four than they did with their own proprietary engines. Yes, so, the crystal like, one. Yeah. It's like so that between this and Kingdom Hearts three, um, it's just both these games are gorgeous. They oh, run yeah. well. They play well. The trials um, of it, the trials of Mana remake also uses the Unreal Four engine and uh, and and looks really really pretty. Yeah, they're just having so much better luck, and I hope that they um, uh, they just have had so much better luck with Unreal Four, and I really hope that they keep that going forward because I think it's going to make them not take a decade for each new game. I think this game just feels better because with Kingdom Hearts, like they tried to go with the you know the uncapped frame rate, and so it was like between forty and sixty most of the time, at least on when I was playing on PS4 Pro, um, and even then it wasn't running at a high resolution um, and didn't have motion blur during like um, outside of cutscenes and such. And in this game, by dropping it to thirty and giving it like a really good motion blur effect. I think yeah. it feels so much better than trying to run with an uncapped frame rate. Um, it just, it felt great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I mean, this is a really beautiful game for the most part, and uh, we both, we all alluded to this. I don't think my PS4, like, chugs and hums quite as much on this as it does playing some other 2020 and 2019 games. Hmm. So it's so at, at least, I don't, I'm not going to say it's perfectly optimized, but it's more well optimized to run even on base PS4s than a lot of other modern games. So they they, they did they did a good job visually here. But mm-hmm. I want to talk about music for a few minutes because oh, God. Like, throwing the CDs aside, uh, how many tracks are in the soundtrack? Are, are we talking? Are we're in the 120, 130 range. It's eight discs. Yeah. So yeah. It's it's big. it's an eight disc soundtrack, and they don't just have. You know remixes of all your favorite battle theme, battle and 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 world and town themes. They use the original soundtrack more as motifs, and then have a different arrangement of a of one of an old of one of the old boss tracks for every encounter. And I, I should say every boss encounter, and uh, different arrangements of either Tifa's theme or the world map theme for every single town, except for Wall Market, which has its own thing. Like they, there are so many variations. Uh, and, and so many homages to original FF7 that I just 
I it felt like I was discovering new things every ten minutes. It was breathtaking. And I, I remember there's a we mentioned this before. There's two bike sequences in the game, in chapter four and chapter seventeen. And I really really like the bike music in original FF seven. So but when we got the chapter four bike, I'm like, eh, I, I see what they're doing here, and it's bringing it back a little bit. But I don't like this song as much as the as much as the uh, the, uh, the original bike music. And then we get the chapter seventeen bike music, and <laughs> holy crap, it is. It is intense and exciting and awesome. And so, like, and, and there's, a, I, mean, I mean, those who fight further, the iconic boss fight theme from FF7, how many arrangements of that do we have? Like, maybe good. ten? Yeah, good lot. It's, it's, the next one is the Airbuster one, easily. It's so yeah, good. The Airbuster is, is, I think, when they first really hammer it on you, because it's not quite the same in the Scorpion boss fight. And right, the, but the air... mix of the mocker reactor music and the boss music. Yeah, yeah, but the airbuster version of those who fight further is <sighs> is a is killer. It is so good, and it I'm drop, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'll buy the eight disc uh, soundtrack uh, for myself, but there is so much good music in the remake. I um I was I was floored almost once a chapter at least. It was oh, yeah. it was so it was so good. I mean, there's a rearrangement of The Promised Land from Advent Children uh, very near the beginning of the game as well, so there's a couple of compilation tracks. There's also new stuff, like brand new music. Like, Jesse's theme is not based on anything from the original game. And I think some people misinterpreted or re- mislistened, but I've seen a few comments about this. But one track in particular starts off like Eyes on Me from Final Fantasy VIII. I think it's Tifa's theme or one mm-hmm. of the, like, yeah. Yep. And it sounds really similar to start off with. I think it's just a motif from Naboo and that's so anyway, but like, yeah. Yeah. It's probably yeah. just a similar chord progression that is, uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but it, it's, it, it's so layered and so, and, and, and acknowledging while definitely being its own thing and again i i don't think i'm exaggerating it's like at least 120 tracks it's gotta be it has to be for being on seven discs surely i was a big fan of the uh, of the collapsed expressway music yeah. that, had that was kind of like yep. it was kind of like modern big beat in a way like it, <laughs> good it was, it yeah very, it was very uh i thought it was very unique but you know i heard it a lot but i didn't yeah. I wasn't sick of it or anything. And I I I I, I, welcome, I welcome more big beat in in video games. I think if they if they if they just got Pendulum to do a whole video game soundtrack, I'd be into that. Fine. Oh gosh. Whatever. <laughs> oh my favorite my favorite track um, and slash moments in the entire game, honestly, is probably the end of chapter sixteen when they first introduce Genova. Yes. And Cloud's walking down that hallway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the theme kicks in yes. and he says her name. And it's just like every single moment about that is so pitch perfect. Yeah. I had chills. Like yeah. that was that is how you do foreshadowing. It was great. It, like, they and, build to it so slowly and so like and when it finally hit, kicks in, it's like, ooh. It was yeah, so sinister. <laughs> they yeah. do it with Genova in general, don't they? I think, yeah. like, in the original, you're just like, oh, she's disappeared now all of a sudden, but this time you see Sephiroth <laughs> caught and her around, like, woohoo, dead you alien actually, body kind of thing. Like, yeah, you actually see that. Now, okay, so let's. this is actually gets into one of the changes that I know has been controversial, and I actually am in the same corner on this one as a lot of people are. They changed the Trail of Blood sequence. Yeah, to, to, be, the Genova, yeah. to be the Genova goo. That and that's which is honestly probably what it was supposed to be initially, right? Like, well, yeah, it's no one's blood, is it? It's meant it, to be the Genova being carted around by Sephiroth. I yeah, but there, there, are, there aren't there aren't yeah. enough there aren't enough bodies to make that much blood in the in the original FF. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, FF7. but at the same time, 
like per I don't know purple purple bubbly acid blood doesn't exactly have the same effect. Yeah. And um, while I less sinister in this game anyway, I think he was. <laughs> well, they and I get why they play him up. He's like the most popular Final Fantasy villain. Everyone who's going into this at least has some passing familiarity of Ooh, Sephiroth. Not sure I agree and, with that. And, Actually, well, I don't I, agree with that. Well, the thing, I, thing I, is, I, Sephiroth is like Jaws in the original FF7. You don't see him or even technically know what he looks like until the flashback in Calm. Yeah, and, and then, I know. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But I, I get. I, but I get why. Again, he's such a popular character. I kind of get why they wanted to play him up a bit more. I kind of like the change to the President Shinra scene. I like that you get one final confrontation with him. Mm-hmm. But man, the impact of finding the corpse with the sword in it was so much harder hitting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would have liked to see that moment. And uh, are we ready to talk about the whispers yet? Yeah, we, we haven't talked about whispers. We haven't talked about Shinra Tower. We've barely talked about Cloud's trauma and, and the and the Sephiroth visions he's seeing. I do but... love how they set how they set all that up. Like 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 Cloud's glitching and like um when you get when in the Hojo scene, when Hojo starts to say, um, right. you were never a soldier, and it like the audio starts to like distort, like, mm-hmm. I, I like love that. that. Yeah, like, really good. We should probably talk about before we talk about our problems with the whispers, we should probably explain what they actually are. Uh, who wants to do the honors? <laughs> uh, I, I think I could take a stab at it. Um, it's, oh. it seems, it, it seems, um, that ever that, uh, the consensus take on it is that the whispers are representative of kind of the fan base and of the expectations that are surrounding this remake. They're this, um, they're this sort of shadowy force that you don't see their faces. And so they're, you know, it, it's, you know, if Tetsuya Nomura, he can't, he's not thinking of fans individually. And, you know, Yoshinori Kitase are not thinking of like, oh, you know, uh, Zach Wilkerson or Peter Treisenberg and such, they're they're seeing these sort of shadowy um just sea sea of fans and such and expectations and they feel weighed down by them um in some ways. And these whispers in the story, um, when there's something that is going to um when it seems like the story's going to deviate from the original, they kind of nudge it back into place. You're in... you're uh you're you're skipping several steps here. <laughs> They, they they say explicitly that the whispers are the will of fate to the degree like like there yeah. is there is some level of predestination in the world of FF seven and yes. whispers are these ghostly figures that guide the uh, the events of um of the world towards a certain conclusion. Um, now whether this is the will of the planet that Sephiroth has somehow co opted or some uh, or something that Genova's manipulating that they that uh, that that used to be part of the planet. Uh, is it's all speculation, but the uh, there it is a theory that um, that 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 they rep they represent um, like a fan attachment to dogma that uh, uh, that uh, Nomura and and other creators as part of the remake want to resist. But I, 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 I don't I don't another th- reading though. I haven't I, seen I haven't seen any reading besides that though. I well I think I think it's pretty explicit that they're there as an attempt to. Um... To make sure, it, 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 diegetically, like in the context of the story, my main my guess is that what they are is that I, the planet. They, I think Aerith does it, it stay at one point that they represent the will of fate or the will of the planet, mm-hmm. and that the planet knows that it, the events of Final Fantasy VII follow through to their logical conclusion. Humanity will die, but the planet will survive. Um, 
Um, it, it, it shows scenes of Meteor during the final boss sequence. You see yeah, you, you see scenes yeah. of Meteor and scenes of Aerith's death and even the epilogue with Old Red 13. Yeah, um, and Aerith's death is critical for the planet's survival because her mm-hmm. death is what allows her to enter the life stream and, and lets the life stream all, and cast Holy and all that jazz at the mm-hmm. end. Um, so, but what, uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I actually think it's really, I, I, I knew the twist going in because I asked Alana literally when her review went up and was like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I need to know, just tell me, I don't care. Um, and I think, I think for the most part, until chapter 18, it's very clever how it's set up. I like how things will happen that cha- happen differently and then the whispers will show up to correct it. Like Cloud might not go on the second reactor mission, so the whispers injure Jesse to ensure that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, Cloud finds information, finds out information he's not supposed to early. Like when Hojo's about to spill the beans about who he was, the whispers show up to intervene. I yeah. think that's very, and at times they even help the party, like when Sephiroth stabs Barrett in the in the uh, the president's office. The whispers bring him back to life because he's not fated to die here. Yeah, or they they undo the stabbing somehow. And then Joe, I wasn't necessarily disagreeing with your interpretation. I just think you skipped several steps going ahead to these to these whispers as representations of fan expectations, and not and not. What they are in in the in the logic of the game world? They're dementors. Yeah, yeah they do look like, yeah. they, they do look like dementors, and uh, and I think that their combined mega version looks like Urizen from Devil May Cry Five. It, it it looks like a dark side a dark side from Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Like it's got it's a giant it's a giant behemoth with long tendrily like extensions and big claw hands. <laughs> They're the biggest addition to the remake, and um and probably the most controversial change. Um, I think because a because people some fans really did want a faithful retelling of the original, and the game is explicitly addressing that. But also because chapter eighteen is a huge pill to swallow, yeah. and they kind of waffle it in a lot of yeah. areas. I, I'm going to make a point that I think I I told Alana before we recorded, but it's also going to be the stupidest com- uh, comment any of us makes on this podcast. Um, I think they deliberately called it Final Fantasy VII Remake instead of just Final Fantasy VII or Final Fantasy VII Remastered because they the point is they're not recreating FF7 uh, wholesale or necessarily completely faithfully. They are remaking mm-hmm. the FF7 story. This is not nice. this is not a retelling. This is a remaking, and remake doesn't necessarily have to mean recreation um no it doesn't yeah but like, but but it's uh, i and this is where i have uh, some problems with the ending and which we did discuss before recording i think it's all a little too on the nose like having yeah. it is incredibly on the nose having yeah. having represent representations of fate uh involved from the whole game and uh and, and then like sh- shaping itself into a giant fate demon with three <laughs> min- miniature fate avatars that you have to defeat in order to be able to change uh, the predestination of the world. Which, again, like I, I sort of like the cheekiness, and I sort of like the visions of the future sort of appearing in their heads and whispering away, as in, like, as, with as, almost the creators directly telling fans it might not go this way next t- this time. Like, I, I, I sort of like the... I, I, I like that, th- that, th- that as a concept, but it is just so on the nose that I even in the more powerful moments within chapter 18, I rolled my eyes a little bit at it. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I so, mean, so the reality good. is that 
anytime you do a remake, you, you have to tell a story that stands on its own and it's going to live outside of that. And so them just saying like, oh, hey, we're going to change things and let us like sort of red underline cran it with this anime garbage thing. Like, it, 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 sorry, I don't what? like it at all. No, um, I don't. Yeah, I don't like that um, it, at all either. It, it, it's like, look, it, because they, they don't do a good job with Sephiroth. I disagree with Peter that the idea that like everyone knows going in. I've talked to people who know nothing about it going in and they don't do anything to characterize and they just throw all this stuff out there. And to me, it just seems like a cop out. Either you tell a story that works well on its own, which they did for 17 chapters. It worked. <laughs> And then in the next one, you tell a, a story that works well on its own. But now it's like, well, we're going to change things. And if it doesn't work, well, you know, tough luck because it's, it's our story to tell now. Um, and that hard. really is patronizing yeah. to me. Yeah, it's really hard as well because it's literally a drop in Chapter 18 and you have no in-game time to digest any of this change yeah. at all. No, like, you I don't. Think, like, I could have done with one more chapter maybe or, like, it being dropped. Like, it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, the whispers you know, there were bits earlier on, like when Cloud first meets Aerith, he sees Holy dropping in, like hitting the stones, like he sees that and it's like, you know something's happening, and that was the first time when I went hang on a minute, how are you seeing that? That doesn't happen yet, that's not happened for you. There, there's a bit where he um, where he sees Aerith's death and starts crying, and I, yeah. I actually like that scene a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but it's, like, there's... it's just yeah I there mean, are like... moments there are moments leading up to it that work really well and i like the general idea of what they're going for here i like the idea that they are going to change things and i like the idea that they had a literal first reason for why they can change things yeah yeah but... I, I think I, yeah i i like that too and my favorite thing about all of this is just the gut punch of the community right now like like e everyone right. that's beaten the game is some combination of excited, upset, and alarmed <laughs> about about what about what might ha about about what might happen. Yeah. I, I like I that, but I don't like how they did it by having you defeat a mm -hmm. a literal representation of fate, which it's is which really is, clumsy. Yeah, yeah, which is which is probably I, I think. It goes from it goes from like seven to eleven really fast. My my like, my, the, my theory is again avoiding the thing about like developer idea versus fan expectation is that there is some level of uh, the planet guiding its own fate, but Sephiroth and or Genova or both has corrupted it and is trying to uh, and is trying to bend it to their will. And, uh, and 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 you're like and you're fighting the evil like Sephiroth corrupted version of that is my is my thought but it, which which is probably wrong. But I mean it, that it, would that would make sense because otherwise like them fighting they they seem to essentially be fighting for Sephiroth at the end there if that's not the case. Yeah, so I mean well, like an Eric well, letting yeah, it go forward that is, makes this, that make sense. This is my my problem with the the final boss sequence less so and and what it implies for that because yes I agree. The motivations are very unclear because Sephiroth also seems to want to break free from destiny. I think he wants to create a timeline where he can win. Um, mm -hmm. And th this is this goes back to a, this is this is a reach, but it's I've been thinking about this line of dialogue from Advent Children ever since I found out the twist. And there's a bit where Rufus is talking to Kadaj, one of the remnants of Sephiroth, mm -hmm. and says. Life's the life stream. If all souls return to the life stream, and that is the very nature of life and death, then history will inevitably repeat itself. Yeah, yeah. I, my if, 
everyone, if everyone, if, mechanically, if everyone dies and goes back to the live stream, and ages later they all get reborn, then and the and all those memories are in the planet. And after the original seven, Aerith and Sephiroth are still in the live stream, battling it out, conflicting forces. I think what's happening is that this is a rebuild of Evangelion style, mm-hmm. uh, cyclical thing. But Aerith and Sephiroth, the original ones, are still in the live stream, kind of influencing events. Yeah, which um, is why they're near Aerith at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Like she, yeah. she seems to know more than she lets on. She's like almost on the same when, level as Sephiroth. Yeah, like, and when she's right? talking to the flowers, I think that's how Aerith is communicating. Yeah. with her other self, and also um, at the very end when it starts raining, that was another symbol used in Evan Children to indicate when she Aerith was talking cleansing. About. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way Aerith addresses Sephiroth near the end that like like you're wrong, you shouldn't be here is I I, I, I thought uh made was more suggestive that Sephiroth was a corrupted a corrupting influence. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean Which he is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but uh, you could interpret it as Sephiroth wants to summon meteor and the planet also wants to summon meteor to clem- cleanse itself or Sephiroth is corrupting the will of the planet to uh, to to go to that end, and Aerith wants to resist that. It, it's I, I, again, we, we're we're reaching really far and thinking far ahead, but but, there's, but, a but lot what, of, there's a lot of reaching to do. Yeah, yes, but but one thing that is very clear is that um, uh, again, going back to my dumbass remake comment, uh, we can't we can't assume that uh, the 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 next. That part two or or later parts of the of the remake project are going to be even as close to the events of FF Seven as this game was. Like, Correct. It, it, I, I think I think they'll deviate farther than this game did, and that is again, you will be a, some combination of excited, upset, alarmed, and I I'm much more on the excited, alarmed uh, sec- <laughs> yeah. sec- section of that of that of that triple Venn diagram, but it's it's so much to deal with. Right, and similar to your, like, reach, which I don't think is a reach with the word remake, like, a common complaint about this game is that it's been, by the people who really, really, really do not like the ending, is that they think that the game was misleading, it was mismarketed, because it does, and then one of the other things that came up before the game was out was, well, where's the part one on the box, that's really misleading, well, because it's not part one of anything, is it? It's it's almost like Xenosaga episode one, isn't it? Like, this mm-hmm. is game number one in a trilogy, let's say, and then the next one will be, like, I don't know, reunion, rebirth, whatever. I don't know. Ooh, like, reu- ooh you know. that's actually smart. Reunion's yeah. probably yeah, going to be like, it. Yeah, part one. This is not part one of anything. This yeah. is Final Fantasy VII Remake. The next one is going to be a sequel. It's not part two. Final it's Fantasy VII new. Returns, then Final Fantasy VII Rises. Final Fantasy VII Tokyo Drift, mm. definitely. <laughs> I think Final Fantasy VII Midgar Strikes Back. Then it's just going to be... Fi- <laughs> this, the, 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 around game six or seven, it's going to be just f- Fantasy VII. <laughs> and then final, final eight. Fantasy sixteen. Next yeah, one. It'll be Fantasy seven. Then final eight. And then uh, and, and then, <laughs> then final, final Fantasy seven. Reno versus Rude. My oh, big. Oh my god. I think it's um. <laughs> I don't like the fact that you fight Sephiroth at the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna here. I actually I prefer the giant fate monster to the Sephiroth fight. I I wish the the whole game had less Sephiroth. But yeah. but for what they're going for, I guess they had to. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, so I, I sort of begrudgingly accept the amount of Sephiroth we got. 
Yeah, again, it's fan and service. Again, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I care. It makes Cloud's trauma more clear, doesn't it? Like Cloud is terrified of Sephiroth because he remembers this thing at Nibelheim, basically. Yeah, yeah. and, and they, they they hinted that very well, and that aspect of Sephiroth in the game, I like. Like I like yeah. the idea that Cloud's flashing back to his trauma. It lets them play up the fan service a little bit and build the mystery. And some characters do still reference, like, oh, the war hero? Like, they know who he is. Yeah. At the very end, though, again, I think the ending is rushed. It feels rushed. Yeah. I really could have done with it a chapter earlier. Because Mm. suddenly everyone is just willing to go along with this. But, so, okay, so I have one theory is that, so if you notice the Genova boss you fight is called Genova Dreamweaver. Mm-hmm. And the, the item descri- the description for it says that it creates hallucinations. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure that what was going on at the end may even be real. But Maybe that's not. that 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 would be well, an ex- that would that be, a would be one way to make me hate it even more than I already do. I would be upset, but it's a writing cop out they could use if there was enough backlash. I, I can see that it being a safety net. And I really um, I don't, hope they don't do that because that's why I don't we either. don't like I about them, 15's DLC. I, 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 it was a I want, them to, I want them to have conviction in their own story. Otherwise, you're just going to yeah. rise yeah, exactly. a Skywalker. Well, we, we, know that, we know that Genova was transported there because, I mean, we, we see Genova gone, trail of purple goo. Then I, I assume my assumption is that a small piece of Genova mutated into that maybe uh, and, and was probably uh, – uh, probably from uh, the body of a clone. Yeah, you see one of the clones, so it's yeah, the same deal as the other games. Yeah, exa- like, exactly. Like, like I, all, I think all, or at least most of the representations of Sephiroth in this game were a clone taking on his appearance and messing with Cloud's head. Because just like the original. Yeah, yeah. because because there's clones <laughs> everywhere. But the the uh, my feeling is, I thought that chapter sixteen and seventeen were two of the strongest chapters in the whole game. I I, mm-hmm. lo- I loved the I, I or strong I, I loved. How they handled the Shinra building and, yeah. and and lots of various parts of that. I, I'm less thrilled about the drum dungeon, but the but <laughs> but but there was like I liked a lot of parts of chapter 16 and 17, and I love the feeling of uncertainty that you have and and the ideas presented after like as the credits are rolling. But chapter eighteen mm-hmm. at chapter eighteen itself is a mess. It is yeah. it, it is yeah. it is either too literal inter- an interpretation or too rushed a, sequ- a sequence or, or, or sequences chained together too rushed and that I don't that I don't totally believe yeah. in. That I I think the ending is not a misstep but a like a one of the weaker parts of the game. It's but, just clumsy. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but, but, but again, I love sixteen and seventeen. Dislike mostly dislike eighteen. Then love where we are now. And it's it's mm-hmm. such a confusing feeling that I'm not going to say I hate the ending uh, or that I love the ending, but it's it's just a lot. <laughs> I'm glad you're on the same page as me, even though I beat yeah. it three weeks ago. I'm like, oh, okay, someone else. Well, I, I, I mean, in all honesty, I, I don't have a mixed... problem with where they're going to go forward with it, but it's just it's so sloppily executed that it's, it yeah. makes yeah. any future implications to me seem like, oh, this is what. This is what you think is going to be a good execution? No. Well, like, I think like, it was like I was telling you, telling you before the podcast, Zach. Like, I, I think we're mostly on the same page. That I think the execution was really sloppy too. Mm-hmm. I just love, like the ideas that were presented, and I, and I'm, I don't know. I, I with modern, Final I think Fantasy, the ideas are implicit. I guess is what I'm saying. Like it, it, implicitly, a remake means right. this thing. So I already knew you were going to do it, and you have to do it in this really sloppy fashion, like that. That. It, it, I, it, again, it feels like it, it feels like it's taking the worst of both things. Like you're doing something that's going to upset people, but you're also doing it really badly, even if it excites them at the end. Like uh, to me, that's what's frustrating. It's kind of depending on which on where exactly they're going with this. 
if they're trying to make more of a clean break from Final Fantasy VII, I think something that's that's going to need to happen is that um, I guess you know Kitase can stand for a producer because that's more of his role now, but they should probably and I hope this is the case that Tatsuya Nomura isn't directing it and Kazushige Nojima okay. isn't writing the scenario for it. But, but no, what bothers what, what there's a name in those scenario credits that everyone is ignoring, and it's and we have to remember co-scenario writer Motomu Toriyama. Yes. Right. That's He's the, the person that. who wrote the FF10 book about Titus. And the guy who wrote 13, 13. 13 and Lightning Returns. If exactly. there is a problem in your, narrow, in, in your scenario writing, that's it. I have plenty of other things to blame Tetsuya Nomura for that I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna. No. Fo- I'm not gonna focus on the FF7 remake. But the, I, I think. Uh, can we talk? Okay, can we talk about how Zach? We need to talk about one more thing. Oh how yes. Is, did yeah, Zach we live? Did, well, I don't uh, know. <laughs> a parallel there, timeline. There's a really strange line of dialogue that we've all avoided, which Sephiroth says to Cloud near the end, and he says, seven seconds until the end, time enough for you, perhaps." what are those seven seconds? And I think one really popular theory is that the timeline splits here is because Cloud saves Zack in those seven seconds in a previous timeline. I don't know how much I believe that, but I do think there is an alternate timeline where Zack is not dead, basically. But still, but, but, but there's only one Buster Sword. It's, it's, there's, we don't know, we don't know That's what happens. That's one of the big things. Yeah, we, we don't know oh. what happens after Zack seemingly survives the attack that kills him in original FF7 and, and in Crisis Core. Uh, you know, but you know what that opens up, though, is that if they do a, some kind of multiple time, like time and space, big final battle at the end of all this, they can bring in Zack from another timeline to help out. So it turns into the ending to Bravely Default again. It oh, turns into uh, the ending of not. Lightning Returns. It turns, yeah. I'm not, yeah. yeah when, when you say things like that, that does not give me faith. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh my god. It's set up there now. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I love I love garbage like this, so I'm totally here for it. Did you did you did you also hear the theory that those three um uh fate avatars you fight the the the, the main theory is that they're Cloud uh Barrett and Tifa from the future, which would make sense, but yeah. also that they're Kadaj Laws and yeah. Yazoo. Yeah. I've heard that as well, yeah. It's just so much. Like, you know, you're saying you're ignoring the compilation largely, but then you throw in things like that. Like, there are some really cool nods, like Kunsel obviously is brought up in the Shimmer Tower, and mm-hmm. then you have the line that Zack says, you know, he says, um, yeah, the embrace the dream kind of thing. Like, and the price of freedom is deep, yeah. I actually like like what they did with compilation stuff here because I outside of Crisis Core, I think all the compilation stuff is anywhere from terrible to truly terrible. Um, but I like <laughs> that they nod to it in ways without ever yeah. having to make me relive it. Except again, the uh, building slashing. I mean, uh, I, in chapter eighteen. But, yeah. I, I, I don't even like Crisis Core, and uh, <laughs> except except for a few oh. except for a few specific pieces of it. Pieces of it. I, I'm, unlike Peter, I do not like garbage like this. But in in general. Uh, there are a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, and we can't assume that future games in this project are, again, recreations of FF7. There's, it, it, this game, um, again, challenges what the idea of what a remake is and does. And, and I don't want to make the same point, repeat points I made earlier, but I, I, I think in spite of the very messy discussion we just had, I think all of us still liked this game and are, and are ready for reunion remake part two whatever 
the hell right now? Am I? Is that? Oh yeah, I can't wait. Right? Yeah, I, I'm. Right. I'll, I'm, I'll play it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm less excited. Than You'll play it. <laughs> and if nothing else, I admire the audacity. Right. And and, I, and the thing and, and um sorry to interrupt, Alana. Um, I admire the audacity too. But the thing is, this is a huge, expensive game. This isn't a low-budget game take, uh, that's making an audacious mm -hmm. point. This is an e enormous, expensive game taking a point so so bold that it, the fans will be divided on it. And I'm just, right? I'm just, I'm deeply impressed by that. And it's like, it's even though it's big budget, like FF Seven is like some like one of the most important RPGs ever probably yeah, it's a, it's like, like you know the final fantasy yeah it's the first you know it's the first official one that came to europe it's the first one most people played it's the first 3d final fantasy it's this that and the other everyone's got so many personal attachments to this game and like one of my biggest worries is like my favorite part of final fantasy is everything after midgar up yeah. until the whirlwind maze Agreed. All of that being taken away from me is a little bit terrifying, honestly. Like, I'm excited for it, but, like, you know, everyone's going to have such different reactions because it is such a hugely personal game to so many different people on so many different levels. And the fact that they've gone out and gone, well, here you go, there you go, that's it. Off the bed, you know, if that could be off the table, that could be off the table. It's gutsy, and, like, I can admire it, and I'm there, but, like, I have to be terrified. Like, there's no other way I can feel about it, I don't think, personally. But yeah, I've got to. I've got to also praise them for being like, congratulations! You managed to like completely pull the wool over everybody's eyes and really surprise us all. So yeah, there you go. My favorite part of FF Seven is probably the journey from around, let's say, Calm to Rocket Town, and then, and then you know add, add, yeah. lab add Labyrinth of the Ancients to the end of that too. So yeah. like, like, and the fact that all of that. I, I think locations will return, and this is still the same world as that yeah. game. But the but the events and the uh, and and the sequences and maybe even the the key characters uh, might 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 not be there. We we could be this could be uh, like the next Final Fantasy re Seven piece could have <laughs> it, it like Aerith surviving or not even meeting Yuffie or Sid, which uh, which is a reach. But but yeah. still like like everything is on the table and nothing is sacred and that is crazy. Uh -huh. But. One thing that isn't crazy is me making an awkward transition to the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, we, we've been talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake a lot. There's a lot to talk about. We could do another episode. We won't. Uh, but please at least um, read Alana's awesome review on the uh, Final Fantasy... Um, excuse me. On the RPG on the RPGfan.com main website, or listen to the uh, uh, listen to the listen and watch to the video review. If you're listening to this podcast and haven't played it, what are you doing? I mean, right. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm sorry, but this is on you. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was your introduction to the whole yeah, game? Right. Wow, yeah, geez. Um, I I have listened to movie and game podcasts about games and movies that I haven't played or watched before. Yeah. But this is different. <laughs> this were <laughs> like this episode requires some context. And uh, I gave a warning at the beginning. And if and uh, listener, if you are here without having having played this or at least researched it a little bit, I uh, I, I have nothing more to say. But I do actually. That's a lie. I have plenty more to say because I got to do some housekeeping. Um, uh, listeners. Uh, thanks for joining us, <laughs> and and thank you, uh, Peter, Alana, Zach, and Joe, for joining me on this uh, lengthy and messy episode. We had a lot of good discussion, but 
there, there could even be more discussion. There's there is so much to talk about. Oh, there, there, there. Like, yeah, there's like a million different like things yeah. I'm not even we didn't, bringing up. We didn't <laughs> talk about the Shinra tour. I loved the Shinra tour. It was, that was hilarious. Yeah. We didn't talk about how Red Thirteen pulls switches either. I'm very disappointed in everybody if you didn't pay attention to that. I think it's Lab Rat. Who are Lab you? Rat dog. Oh yeah, <laughs> Florist. Lab, Lab Rat, Rat Dog. dog. That, that, that was a great. I, I enjoyed okay. that. But uh, this is the first episode of May, which means I'm allowed to talk about the episodes coming in June. We are playing over two episodes, Yakuza 0. Uh, Yakuza is a game that's gotten a lot of discussion on RPG Fan, especially on Random Encounter in 2020. And it's a game that a lot of uh, RPG Fan staff are uh, passionate about, and other RPG Fan staff, including me, are curious about. So we are going to have simultaneously one of our most retro and least retro games ever, because Yakuza 0 takes place in the 1980s, but it's definitely a game that's less than five years old. So uh, Yakuza 0 coming to Retro Encounter in June. But what about the rest of, what about the rest of May? We have uh, an episode on, game Boy, on the Game Boy Advance coming next week. We're going to be talking about a bunch of Game Boy Advance RPGs, many of our favorites, probably not all of them, but a lot of them. But one we're not going to be talk- talking about on that episode is Mother 3, because Mother 3 is getting two episodes all on its own in the second half of May. And I finished playing Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, last night a little bit earlier than Peter did. Um, and I need to start Mother 3 the hell right now. Like, la- hmm. later today is when that is being, getting fired up. So yeah, please look forward to Game Boy Advance and Mother 3 this month and Yakuza 0 in June. If you want to contact us, the best way to do is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also visit RPG Fan's Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter page, Discord server, Twitch channel. There's something streaming every day on Twitch. Our YouTube channel, which has uh, some of the same content on the on the RPG Fan news page and uh, and all kinds of other stuff. Which uh, it's growing more every day. And there's also three other fine podcasts on RPG Fan. Random Encounter about randomness, Rhythm Encounter about music, although it hasn't had an episode in a while, and Phoenix Edge, uh, which is mostly, which is a weekly podcast mostly focused on current events. And so you can review us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podcast Addict. We uh, recently changed our hosting system for podcasts, so now there are more ways to enjoy Retro Encounter and more ways to leave feedback. Please do both of those things in your most preferred method. And I've been talking way too many words in a row right now, so let's share our social media presences of the rest of the panel, starting with you, Zach. Uh, You can email me at zachw at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Discord at zachw. And Joe, go next. So uh, because I'm one of the social media people, uh, I'll probably be replying to you on Facebook or Twitter, um, but you can also find me on Discord, on Twitter, and on Instagram as at Eva Least. And Alana, your turn. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, at Alana Hagues, or you can drop me an email at alanah at rpgfan.com. And Peter. Uh, you can find me, uh, Peter T at rpgfan.com if you want to email me. Or uh, on Twitter at I Have Fury. All right, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, uh, uh, panelists and listeners, I am tired and hungry and need to play Mother 3, so those three things <laughs> are going to happen in some order later today. Uh, thank you, good night, and good luck. Oh
Tree. 